0: Hi guys, today our guest is Brad Vanstone, founder of WoollyCraft that creates plant-based alternative to cheese. Cheese, similarly to meat, has a significant environmental impact. In the conversation with Brad, we discuss what we can do about it and still enjoy the taste and texture of our favorite cheese products. We also discuss the nutritionists of the alternatives and how it compares with dairy cheese. Enjoy the conversation with Brad.
1: Hello guys, welcome back to Founding Impact. Our today's guest is Brad Van Stone from Willycroft, a company that's making really tasty uh, cheese alternatives. Hey Brad, welcome, it's super great to have you here.
2: Good morning, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great. Like uh, We know Croft, we know what you do, cheese alternatives sound super simple, we will dig into that uh, in a second, but maybe we can start with uh, your personal story. How did you end up making cheese, simply?
2: <laughs> Yeah, sure. So, my I'm from the uh, UK originally. Um, so, I moved to Amsterdam about five years ago, uh, and on moving here, I started to explore eating a plant based diet. And actually, I was pretty impressed with the alternatives for meat and milk. Found it a pretty easy transition there. Also, started to actually look at a, a lot of different cuisines. So, I wasn't necessarily needing those products, but I've always loved cheese. And so, uh, I really struggled to find something that, that kind of stood up to, uh, my, my love and passion for cheese. And, uh, yeah, I, I, kind of searched high and low across the supermarkets here. went to a lot of different markets and just couldn't find something that really stood up to, to what I believed, uh, cheese cheese could and, and should be. And so I started to make, um, sorry, you go.
0: I just, just wanted to ask us, is, is there any specific type of cheese that you like the most?
2: Very tricky question. I was given a book of uh, 300 cheeses once and, and started to chalk them off. And I think I narrowed it down to about 10. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I do love uh, Stilton. I love an, uh, an aged cheese as well. Um, but um, yeah, tricky to pick a favorite. And of course, now I uh, have uh, some really cool favorites. Um, but yeah, I, I basically started to experiment at home in my apartment and was coming into it with a, with a bit of prior knowledge. My grandparents were dairy farmers, so I had a basic understanding of um, the, the, the sort of principles of, of cheese making, the, the components that needed to go into it. So it was very much a pet project here, here in Amsterdam in my apartment and it really just morphed out of that um, through selling into market stores and, and then after a year um, I, I, basically, you know, looked at what it would, would, would take to kind of scale it.
0: Did you always have this, um, uh, so when we, when you were starting making your own recipe mm. and your own cheese, did you have the idea of, um, making it commercially or was it mainly for your own purpose?
2: No commercial desire initially, actually it was, it it was very much step by step, which I think actually is particularly in food a a great way to begin um so i was literally focused on uh it feeding two people myself and and my partner um and yeah just just from there it it became something i would bring along to uh to dinner with with friends and, and then it was something i was selling at markets and yeah it was very incremental early on um and i think if i'd have thought too too big picture early on i probably would have uh turned around and gone and done something else, um, it, 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 it helped that it was step by step, I think.
1: What pushed you actually to really, you know, cross the line mm-hmm. between just doing it for friends and family, selling some some bits and bits, bits and pieces on the market, what pushed you to really start thinking big?
2: Yeah, there are, there are a few different factors. I, I think I was kind of blown away by the, the response, but first and foremost, was that, that gave me a lot of energy and, and, and hunger. Mm-hmm. I think also a year into doing it, I didn't really think there was that much movement in the space. So still actually thought there were, there were a lot of opportunities there. And also began to understand how it could be a business. I became aware of certain groups here that could help, help me sort of scale it, certain accelerators. Um, Also became aware of certain producers and how other people had grown these types of businesses. Um, and, and and so I think it was a combination of those those pieces coming together uh, which a year before i I just didn't have in place that gave me the uh the opportunity and the energy to do it
0: I like the idea of doing something that interests uh, you or like in general when when people do something mm. interesting to them i think great great things uh, come can, can come out of it totally um yeah. we talk about like cheese but Probably in legal terms, it's not the, <laughs> the name that we should be using. And yeah. the the products that you that you do that you make uh, are cheese alternatives. Could you could mm. you tell us a bit more? Why do you do we need actually cheese alternatives?
2: This is often um, sort of disregarded. This this stat, but actually cheese is the third highest emitting food type after lamb and beef. So I think we're all pretty kind of uh, plugged in now to the emissions of, of meat in particular, but cheese is right up there. So if you look at the emissions of cheese consumed just in Europe, it's the equivalent to the emissions of Belgium as a country, which is, which is quite a staggering uh, stat. So I think that story is, is very clear. Um, Obviously not all animals are um, produced in in, or or used in an industrial fashion, we do actually in Europe still have quite a bit of grazing, but there is still quite a bit of um, animal suffering there I would say as well, Um, and I think it's also a question of efficiency, I mean in the Netherlands 25% of our land is actually used for animals, Um, that is meat and dairy, but that's an extraordinary amount of of, of land for just a couple of parts of our diet. Um, so I, I, I think those are some of the key reasons why I think we need to be looking at alternatives for uh, producing cheese. And I think plant-based alternatives is one of the key routes there. Um, but I I also think the dairy that does remain should be looking at regenerative. And then we have some very exciting new cell-based um, uh, sort of technologies coming through as well, so there's there's quite a few different different ways, and I think all of these sectors need to grow and need to evolve. Um, but the need for change and the speed at which we need to change is is there for all to see.
0: Could you give us some some sort of an indication of how the footprint, ecological footprint of um, alternatives uh, compares to mm. to the real thing?
2: We've uh, just concluded some of our um, initial LCAs actually for for our products, and there is one other company that I know of that's that's done similar analysis, so I can can cross compare both. So what we do when we do an LCA, and and that's a life cycle life cycle assessment, where you're basically looking at the full emissions of a product from the initial ingredients right through to it's uh, ending up in the waste streams of of a consumer or hopefully in the stomachs of a consumer Um, and so our our analysis is always pitted off against the dairy cheese that we're replacing so we have a greek white for example the emissions of that product is five times less than a dairy uh, feta Um, and we know that actually we are 50% Fifty percent less than uh, one of our leading competitors in terms of emissions. So, so that competitor, uh, that other plant-based cheese alternative, is still much lower than dairy. But because we're using um, beans now in in our um, plant-based cheeses, we're able to also go beyond the uh, some of the other alternatives. So it is a considerable lowering, and uh, this is also you know three years in. So. You imagine what we can look at as we begin to localize our supply chains even further. Look at um, yeah other adjustments we can and improvements we can make across our entire operations. We can go above and beyond that.
1: You've mentioned that you're using, for example, beans as a, as a base for, for cheese. Mm. So I'm really curious how actually the production looks like, because it's quite simple uh, to understand how the regular cheese uh, is made. Like, you yeah. know, there's a cow, there's a milk, then there's a cheese and something in between. But when it comes <laughs> to like alternatives, it's uh, not that common knowledge yet. So maybe you can dig a little bit uh, deeper into that uh, aspect.
2: Sure. So I think there's a few different methods being used. Some are very simplistic. And some are, are um, almost um, identical to cheese making, and, and, and some are sort of in between. Um, we, we start by making um, a plant based milk. So we're, we're binding the, the proteins and, and the fats of, of our ingredients. Um, we then, once we have the milk, we're looking to create a, a structure and a form, much like with a dairy cheese. With dairy cheese, you, you have casein to create that, that structure and form. Um, with plant-based cheese, we obviously don't have that. That that comes from the inner lining of of, of a cow's stomach, and actually, there isn't a single ingredient yet um, that's that's a natural ingredient on earth that totally replicates casein. So you can replicate structure really effectively with starches and certain binding agents, but with um, other sort of less natural methods, it's it's just it's it's not not there at the moment. So. Uh, once we have the structure we're then um, creating flavor so you can ferment um, or you can add ingredients that are fermenting such as yeasts um, and then finally you're forming the cheese so uh, the bulk of the cheese is we make uh, we we create a tr- uh, a giant block uh, from so 15 kilo block and then we form it so we grate it we cube it we slice it um, and, and then it's it's packaged. Um, so actually a lot of those steps are quite similar. The process is much shorter. We're actually um, not in the business of creating um, aged cheeses at this point in time. Cheese is really split into two. You've got sort of cheese as a course. So um, cheese is for cheese boards and then cheese as an ingredient. And we're replacing cheeses as an ingredient so that with products like feta and grated cheese and sauces. Um, and so, our process can be a bit quicker um, but yeah, that's the the very sort of top level um, way way in which we make the, the product
1: so I can imagine that the ultimate goal that you're uh, you're heading for is to create as the best imitation of regular cheese as possible because that's what your customers are looking for. is that right? yeah
2: on te- on taste and texture, we always talk about replacing the setting so if you're having a salad you want a cheese that is going to lift the dish it's going to crumble um it's going to have a little bit of saltiness a little bit of creaminess and so i think if we we say to a customer this is feta, it set it, it it sets something up in their mind that actually isn't healthy because generally when we compare anything it, it just often leads to um i, I think a miscomparison. so we're always replacing the the setting of, of of when a cheese should be used. So that is, I think, the number one thing with the customer that we are solving. But also behind the scenes, um, what really drives us as a company is is getting um, that impact really clear and and continually uh, lowering our emissions and, and 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 reaching the point of net positivity and also the nutrition as well. Um, so I think it's 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 those three components that are at the, the kind of uh, epicenter of everything we do.
0: Out of curiosity, do you think in the long term this imitation is is really needed or the taste of consumers might evolve in a way that you wouldn't need to compare mm-hmm. yourself to cheese in any way, or at least not as, as
2: you do today? I, I think it's gonna be a combination. I think um, dairy is so embedded in our diets that we will always, require some form of of dairy and and i think in this part of the world in in europe in particular that will always remain quite strong so i think alternatives here are really key but i am really excited about where it might head in let's say eight to ten years time when indeed cheese can become a bit of a um a a new um sort of industry Um, if you look at many different cuisines across the world, cheese is actually not an important component of it. Um, and I think in those cuisines, Unami flavors, um, certain structural properties are, are really important. But, but what we kind of think of as, as cheese is less key. So I, I don't think we will ever see the, you know cheese not being a really key part of diets, but I definitely see an evolution for sure and some new opportunities, which, which is really exciting.
0: You described to us the, the production process and uh, how it looks in, in, mm. in general. It would be also interesting to know, how does it work uh, when it comes to sourcing the, the basic ingredients that you use? I'm referring here to, to yeah. working with, with farmers more or
2: less directly. Sure. So we're kind of at a, um, we're, we're, we're testing two models at the moment, so we work directly with a lot of suppliers. And actually our main supplier is is the biggest organic uh, supplier in the world, company called uh, Traden Organic. Really fantastic company because they have a lot of transparency in terms of the farmers they're working with. Um, And actually with all these inflation issues, they've they've been incredible. Um, But we are starting to set up um, direct links with farmers and we're starting that with our beans. So this year we've done one hectare of beans that we've planted in the Netherlands. And it's not fully regenerative, but it is using a couple of regenerative principles already. And next year, the goal is to make that project uh, fully regenerative, but also to actually um, get all of our beans uh, for the following year from, from Dutch farmers. And there's, I think a couple of really great themes here. So firstly, just localizing that supply chain and getting um a bit more sort of ownership there and and exploring regenerative farming but also as a transitional piece as well um because our roots are actually from the dairy farm dairy industry my grandparents were dairy farmers and so uh whilst we are a company that is creating alternatives to dairy we want to still play our role in helping farmers transition and so this is a, a great alternative for, for which they can convert and move away from dairy. Um, and we're looking at some pretty progressive models of uh, financing where we agree a, a five-year um, sort of income for the farmer that isn't based on each individual harvest because as, as you guys will know, and, and I'm sure your listeners will know as, as well as anyone, there's such fluctuations in, in harvest at the moment because of the growing climate issues. So if we can pay our farmers um, a fair price over five years, and and you know have some years where actually we have to source the beans from other parts of um, of Europe, then then that's that's a model that I think is is fairest going forward. So we're just going to look at this for the beans for now. We're going to see see how that evolves, but there's every chance that we will then look at other ingredients um, to, to to gain a closer connection to our supply chain with.
1: Since we are really exploring uh, we were exploring the topic of regenerative agriculture uh, previously also with mm. other guests it's uh, quite close yeah. to our heart I have one side question if I may. How hard mm. is actually to convince the farmers to try regenerative methods Do you really need to convince them or they are just so open that they're like jump on board any way that can help them in the transition
2: I, I think there's a lot of excitement and energy about it but um i was listening to one of your other podcasts um last uh, last evening and um mark rightly pointed out that farmers are quite conservative and you know they they really need to see a very strong business case for them to divert away from something which they know very well but i think on the flip side most farmers are, are just getting by um and it's 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 very tricky industry so if you can come to them with a good business opportunity. I think they're open to it. I think the role of governments is really key here. So in the Netherlands, we're almost there on this side. We've had a 25 billion euro pool of money set aside for transition. So for dairy farms to move away, but it's solely there to buy up farms at the moment. And really, it should be going to projects like the one we're pursuing um, to help that farmer in that transition. So we're at this stage uh, paying for that. Um, we we will look at doing that next year, but I hope we will uh, be able to get some subsidies for it next year. And I think that's really the key. Um, there's more than enough money out there. We just need to put it towards the right um, methods. You know, at the moment we're still subsidising forty percent of of the EU's budget, or it's thirty five to forty percent uh, every year um, to subsidise. Um, dairy and, and meat farming in the EU um, that goes totally against um, the kind of climate goals of, of the EU. And if, if we even re- reallocated 5% of that, we could really look at broad adoption of, of regenerative farming um, a, across the continent, even, you know, switching some of those farmers on to regenerative dairy would, would be a, a better situation than now. so. It's, it is difficult to have that conversation with the farmer. It is difficult to, to, to convert them. I think it has to, has to be funded by other people. Should, the burden should not be on the farmer. That, that has to come from governments or businesses. Um, so we're, we're almost there, I think. Um, but the appetite is, is definitely there if, if the money can follow.
0: The way I understand the way uh, how you work with with farmers is that you could be sourcing, let's say, in that in that specific case, beans probably from more or less anyone, but mm-hmm. you want to go a bit deeper and make sure that the farmers that you work with and where where you get your ingredients uh, also rely on. Um, practices like regenerative agriculture to push the footprint even more in a sense of like lowering it. Is that correct?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think as we've delved deeper into the food industry, we've become more and more aware of many of its pitfalls. And as a business, we're not comfortable with continuing with the status quo. So I think methods like regenerative farming are some of our best hopes for drastic sequestration of carbon and also much more holistic systems and and better outlooks for farmers in general Um, and therefore we will do everything we can to 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 back that we have to be realistic about our limitations and you know what we can do within this chain but we're definitely not gonna sort of sit by and let others solely drive it we're going to do what we can, when we can to, to, to move it forward. And our sort of model with regenerative farming is let's start with one ingredient. Let's get that fully regenerative. Let's look at one product. So let's say in the next um, two to four years, have one regenerative product. And then by the end of the decade, it would be fantastic to, to be a regenerative company. Um, that final part still, we need to put a lot of steps in place to make that happen. But with the step-by-step approach which we've always had, um, these things can, can materialize. So that's that's kind of our, our thoughts.
1: Would you say we're already in a place that we can say it's becoming a trend in the industry um for, for example, production mm. companies to try and to involve the regenerative agriculture in their business models. So Hmm. Is it something that is still completely new? As you said yourself, the financing models are still innovative or yeah. you, from your experience working with other companies, it's becoming a thing?
2: I think it's a trend in the sense that it's a hot topic and it's definitely beginning to happen, but I, I hope it's more than a trend in the sense that it doesn't come and go. <laughs> um, but actually what's very encouraging is actually a lot of the, the bigger uh, food players are adopting regenerative farming um, at quite large scale, some a lot more successfully than others. Um, I think many companies have seen the complexities of setting it up and the time required, but we've seen some pretty ambitious commitments from from big um, FMCG companies and big dairy companies. We've also seen next to no commitment from some, but that gives me a lot of encouragement there's a few. There's there's about ten ingredients now where actually there's real movement, um, and you can actually source regenerative products with with more and more ease within those industries. I guess the complication for a company like us, we've got a you know, 25 ingredients, and that's why it'll take us longer to have a fully rege- You know, be able be able to have even a regenerative product, but then a regenerative supply chain. But the pace at which things have moved in the last two years is, is really, really encouraging. And I think generally the food space believes now that this is our best hope of a system that can feed us and um, sequester a lot of carbon in the soil, um, improve the situation for the farmer. Um, so I, I yeah, that gives me a lot of encouragement.
1: I'm with you uh, with the hopes, uh, having hopes that that's uh, not going to become a trend that uh, come and go, but uh, will stay with us. Um, yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning the um, the healthiness, the nutritionist of uh, ultra- cheese alternatives, because that's something that yeah. could ad- like convince more people to actually uh, use uh, alternatives instead of a regular daily. So how, when mm. you compare one to another, how does it look like?
2: Yeah, I I think actually to look at the whole plant-based space, this is a hot topic right now because we've seen a couple of years of real excitement, a lot of great products coming through, real good comparison in terms of taste and functionality. But people are starting to look at at the back of packets and go, okay, what is this ingredient? Is this actually, you know, really adding a lot of nutrition to, to my diet? And I'm very glad that people are asking those questions because going back to what I said earlier, I think a product should taste delicious, it should be low impact, and it should also be nutritious. So with plant-based cheese, it's an industry as guilty as any of not having that nutrition there. We have to respect it in its earlier stages and you know things evolve and, and and we should give it the time to do so, but it definitely should be a focus point from, from here on in. So, if you look at dairy cheese, it has a very high protein content. It's actually one of the reasons people do eat it is the protein is good. With the bulk of plant-based cheese right now, in, in mass retail, there's actually next to no protein content on in the product. They're, they're produced almost solely from, from coconut and uh, palm oil. So there's no fiber, no protein in there. We've been able to get to a point where um, we're... Uh, three to four times more uh, protein and fiber than the competition, but we are still a way off on protein um, from from the dairy cheese. Um, a big focus I think as well for us is to to have more healthier fats in our product as well. Um, but we, we also have to veer a bit of caution in the sense of cheese is not a healthy, it's not a product people have to be healthy, but it should be healthier think is 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 the kind of framing so yeah in a in a nutshell i think we need to be looking at higher protein levels um i think the fiber that the beans gives us is really interesting and i i think other people will explore that and then healthy fats um are are definitely something where we can have a better product than dairy from a nutrition perspective because dairy cheese has a lot of saturated fat
0: And nutrition are like one of the aspects of it. And how does the production process in comparison to, to dairy, how does it look like from the standpoint of, of healthiness?
2: Well, it's a lot more efficient. Um, if you look at the inputs just on the milk side for our product, our our gouda style cheese, for example, on a, a dairy gouda, you need 10 kilos of milk to, to make one kilo of cheese. Whereas we need one kilo of beans to make ten kilos of cheese, so it's a very different input game. Um, the the machinery actually we use is is near identical, um, so that that is actually a process that is is pretty pretty down. The dairy industry has really perfected that, and actually with you know the right kind of energy sources, you can make that quite a clean process. Um, but um, I I would say actually on that side there's there's quite a lot of gains and, and, and difference between the uh, the efficiency and the inputs of, of dairy. Was that your was that your question or were you more on the yeah yeah? <laughs> uh,
0: I'm also curious. You mentioned it a bit at the beginning of the of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm curious what other non plant based alternatives are on the market, how they how they position. Yeah. And uh, what's what's kind of the main difference?
2: Sure, I think precision fermentation and um, and and sort of cell based technologies are are the main ones. On the cell based side, it'll definitely come. There is some regulatory barriers. I think there are also some scaling concerns in terms of the machinery. Um, but I back the um, sort of intelligence of of the people behind it and. Um, You only need to look at other spaces to see how time investment leads to to some good results. It'll be interesting to see what consumers think of something that is is based. Um, I think it'll be part of the solution. I think there's not going to be one industry that solely changes things. But I think we need all of these different methods to have a a massive reduction in terms of emissions on, on dairy as a whole. Um, precision fermentation I think is probably the hottest and, and likely to catch up with plant-based alternatives which are definitely still leading, um, leading the way at the moment. Um, so I, I would say that's probably the first, yeah, de- definitely at this stage. And that goes for, for all plant, um, sort of vegan and, and plant-based alternatives. Um, sorry, all vegan and plant-based products. The plant-based alternatives are still very much leading the way in terms of sales um, and investment. Um, but yes, I think precision fermentation and cell-based products will will really start to come through in the next three to five years. And I don't actually necessarily see it as a direct competition from us because if you look at the dairy industry, it's worth about 165 billion. Plant-based cheese is worth about 1.5. There is so much growth just with. Within that um, and I think we will all slowly start to chip away at that and I hope that the dairy rem- that remains is is regenerative um, that would be uh the dream scenario
1: in my eyes you're also no, no no not a competitor to to other alternatives because the ultimate goal for all of you is to replace the regular dairy so like create the big impact um on a, on yeah. a global scale right so when we're talking about impact, yeah. uh, I have one more question mm-hmm. because uh, all the business model of Willie Croft is very, very impactful at the core. So you're producing healthy, tasty, mm-hmm. um, sustainable product, but also you're really focused, uh, you as a founder in uh, what you call the Mother Nature movement, which is a kind mm-hmm. of a way to give the impact or create the impact also outside of the company. Can you tell us uh, yeah. a little bit about that?
2: Absolutely. So around two years ago as a company, we made Mother Nature our de facto leader. And the basic premise was we, we've we always felt we're beholden to the planet's wishes and that the functionality of a company is, is actually it's not outdated, but has lost its way. Companies were set up um, for the first time back in the 1860s in the UK, and they were basically there to serve the purpose or purposes where where the government wasn't stepping in so they were for purpose they were for the people or for some kind of environmental issue now over time they have basically become um really focused on profit making they've even kind of lost touch of looking after their own team members their alone shareholders and many other stakeholders and so we basically wanted to create a a simple way of thinking about our most important stakeholder, which is the planet. And actually then decision-making becomes really simple. Um, is this gonna benefit the planet? Yes or no. And of course there are some things that you can't do immediately. Packaging still frustrates me, for example, the fact that we don't have yet the the right kind of materials for packaging. And and that's more of an innovation thing on the, on the packaging in- industry, I think. Um, and so what we then did after, after a year is we actually started to you know talk about this, this basic notion that we had and actually created a movement out of it. So we've got, um, I think it's between 20 to 25 companies now signed up for this movement. We meet once a quarter and we basically discuss topics that we're all kind of interested in. So it might be how to compete in LCA, it might be applying for an accreditation like B Corp or regenerative farming might be pushing movements like corporate governance changes yeah all these different kind of themes um and it's just been a a super nice group for for sharing those kind of ideas
0: many thanks brad for for the conversation and uh, the explanation of how willycroft operates and also in, in terms of like a broader um operation of the of your industry thank you so much guys for listening and stay tuned for the next episodes
1: thank you very much (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.